Take your Bibles once again and turn to the book of 1 John. You know, some days it's just better to be up here than back there. And uh, it's usually one of those days when you're all singing out and uh, just rejoicing and praising the Lord. And uh, you all sound good. And uh, just keep singing that out and worshiping the Lord. It's uh, wonderful just to be up here sometimes to listen to it. And uh, that sounds so good. The title of the message this morning is A Challenge Worth Pursuing. A challenge worth pursuing. I say it's a challenge because what I'm about to talk to talk about is not always easy, but it is what God has asked us to do. Um, so it's a challenge some days, and it's worth pursuing because of the benefits of what we're going to talk about. Last week, we looked at what it means to get honest about our sin. Uh, we're reminded of how sin has significant consequences in our life. However, when we confess and repent of our sins, God is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as we looked at last week. So we also saw from Romans 6 that we should not abuse that same grace that God extends to us in forgiveness. And as we've said many times, we abuse the grace when we go ahead and keep sinning, even though the Holy Spirit has convicted of us of our sin He's pointed it out to us, and we just kind of put it down. We suppress it. We kind of don't think it's not that big of a deal. It's at that point when we choose not to deal with sin and not repent it, not confess it, that God says, you're abusing the grace. I mean, there's three places in Romans alone where he says, God forbid, or certainly not, or may it never be so, that we take for granted the grace that God has given to us when we have the privilege of going to him Realizing that when he died on the cross, when Jesus shed his blood, the very act that he did for us out of love give us the ability to have that forgiveness. And when we sin and abuse the grace, we're abusing what God has done for us. Well, like all of us who've had children, we have goals and expectations for our children. We want them to be healthy, to be strong, to learn, uh, to grow, to think amongst other things. And an expectation that God has for us as His children is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So this morning we're just going to consecrate on those two verses. And uh, let's read them, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get into the message this morning. So chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, we ask God that You would speak to our hearts. I ask God that we would really, Lord, take this as a challenge, Lord, that we daily want to accomplish. Lord, it's worth pursuing. And I ask, God, that you would help us to have victory over sin, Lord. You give us the ability to do that, Lord. You said there, there is no temptation, Lord, that is but such as common to man. Lord, we are tempted in many, in many areas, in many ways, throughout many days. And yet, Lord, we know that the, oftentimes we give in to those temptations and we sin. But, Lord, you said there is a way of escape. And, Lord, we realize that oftentimes that way of escape is simply saying no. And Lord, I pray that you help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be obedient. And Lord, help us to have a desire to say no to the things that we know break your heart. And we ask, God, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts as only you can through your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Bible is full of verses that admonish us 
to not sin. And we're going to look at several of those in just a moment. But right there in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, talking to believers here, those of us who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have an admonition, we have an exhortation, we have a, a command, really, in many places, to not sin. You say, well, that's kind of difficult. Yes, it is some days. Some days it only takes about a millisecond, and all of a sudden you're in sin. Somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody looked at you wrong, somebody... I know what they're thinking about me, and I'm going to have the same thought back. I mean, it only takes a millisecond, and we're living in sin. He says, these things I'm writing to you so that you do not sin. So he gives us his guidelines. He gives us a book. He gives us so many things that would help us to not live in sin. In fact, in Psalms 119, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin. And so the more that we get of God's word in our lives, the more that we are filled with the Spirit... So a couple of days ago, someone said, well, aren't we all filled with the Spirit? Well, when you got saved, when Jesus Christ you know, became your Savior, God's Word tells us, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which he, you know, bottom line is Jesus Christ lives within us, right? But being filled with the Spirit is another thing. Uh, some days we are completely filled with flesh. And the days that we are filled with flesh are the days that we are giving in to sin and just letting sin reign in us. And uh, that's what we're to put down. That we're to, that's what we're to say no to. So we are given this admonition so that we do not sin. So the Bible is full of verses that admonish us not to sin. So let me just give you a couple of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, it says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So every day we're to awake to righteousness. So let me just read the verses. I'm going to come back and give a couple key words out of each of these verses. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn back to Romans chapter 7 just for a moment. Romans chapter 7. And the Word of God tells us a lot about living in the flesh versus living in the Spirit. So in Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, he says this. It says, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice. But what I hate that I to do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Does anybody ever get tongue-tied when they read stuff like this? <laughs> you say, what? Well, in essence, here's what he's saying. The things that I want to do are the things I don't really have the power to do sometimes in my own flesh. And the things that I know I shouldn't do are the things I catch myself doing. Anybody ever been there? I think a lot of us can relate to what he's talking about here. So verse 16 says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So when I'm doing good and when I'm practicing the law, I'm, boy, wonderful, great, I, I got this. But verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin problem that we're born with, and oftentimes our sin permeates out of our fleshly desires. James reminds us of that. He says, all of our sinfulness comes out of our wrong, lustful desires. So verse 18 says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. We're reminded over and over, he says that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Jeremiah reminds us that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can even know it? We don't realize just how sinful we are at times. We go about life and we wake up in the morning, we go about our day, we do whatever it is that we are called to do, whatever it is that we think we need to get done, and the real, we don't even realize that, man, our, our flesh dominates so often. 
And so often it's our flesh that dictates what we do and how we do it and how long we do it. And then he goes on to say this, verse 19, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer who I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That whole to-do thing, I had to look up in the Greek. Is it really saying to-do? Because it really is awkward. It's like, did they, was this a misprint in this particular book? No, it's not. See, we every day we have a will to do or not to do. And that's really what he's saying here. And it's a choice. And he goes on, verse 21, he goes, I find that a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So I have a desire to do what's right. I have a desire to do good. But I also know that there is an evil presence all around us. There is evil within our own flesh. And there's a battle that is raging. So I so appreciated one of the messages Friday night. It says, so often we want to fight on a horizontal plane. And God's Word reminds us so often that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual things. The fight is vertical. We've got to keep living vertically because we know who gives us the strength to overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So he goes on and says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And of course, members, we've said many times, is symbolic of our hands, our eyes, our ears, our minds. It's the things that God has designed us with that we use to sometimes please ourselves and not please Him. And verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am. I say often, Paul says he was the chiefest of sinners. I'd argue that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, you should argue it too. Because so often we say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's almost as if we've put these degrees of sin. Well, on a scale, on the sinometer, this is a 10. But this little thing is just a 1. There's a sinometer, right? I just made that up, maybe. I don't know. But there's a scale that we think in our minds, well, this is not that big a deal, but this thing is huge. I mean, after all, this man committed adultery. This man killed somebody. This man molested somebody. And yes, every sin has different degree of consequences. But when we get into the place in our minds where we justify because it's not that big a deal, remember, God died for all sins. And all sin breaks the heart of God. And all sin, undealt with, unconfessed, unrepented, leads to a broken relationship. So we need to deal with it. He says, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So there's a war that's going on constantly between the mind or the flesh and the the law of what we know we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. So here, chapter 8, just for a couple verses here. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Boy, it's a battle that takes place. 
but I'm glad there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, there are actually, from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, there are three benefits of being free from the sin. When Jesus Christ says, do not let sin reign in your body, there are three benefits. Number one, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation, by definition, is a damning sentence. It's a sentence. And there's no hope beyond the sentence. In other words, you're a sinner. This is the consequence of sin, and there's nothing you can do to change that. See, every one of us are born in sin in Romans 3.23. But Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, the, the ultimate penalty for our sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. There's the no condemnation. Even though you deserve to go to hell because of what you've done, because of who you are innately and how you're born, you're born a sinner, but there's a gift that God has given us. That's the no condemnation. He gives us the opportunity to repent and to confess and to put our faith and trust in Him. So, no condemnation means the damning sentence that you've been given is now taken away. You've been pardoned. You've been released because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about that. Can you imagine just being, boom, you have just been sentenced and you're going to spend the rest of your natural life in chains, in bondage, and in a cell, and you have no hope of ever getting out. Can you imagine having that sentence? Because trust me, every one of us in this room were born with that sentence. You have no hope. There's nothing you can do. It is all what Jesus Christ has done. And he says, you've been pardoned. Woo! Isn't that awesome? You've been pardoned because of what Jesus Christ has done. There's now, therefore, no condemnation. Number two, there's freedom from the law of sin and death. Because there's not a one of us, even if you make your mind up so hard... I, I'm just gonna. I'm, that's it. I'm just determined. I'm just committed, and I'm. I don't care what anyone says. I'm not gonna sin anymore. That's like saying the New Year's resolution. I'm gonna lose 25 pounds. Right. I'm gonna wake up every morning, go to the Y, or go to Planet Fitness, or go to whatever it is, and I'm just gonna start eating right. No more snacks. No more cakes. No more sugar. No more carbs. We're going keto. Whatever it is, it is that you know speaks to your mind. I've just made my mind up. I'm just gonna do it. How long does that stuff last? Come on. It doesn't last hardly any length of time for most of us because our flesh is not strong enough. There's not a one of us that has the ability just to make up your mind and boom, done, changed, never, never go back. Mark Twain says, quitting smoking is easy to do. I've done it hundreds of times. <laughs> right? Because our flesh is weak. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed His blood, and when He gives us, as we looked, out, looked at last week, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if when we come to the place where we're willing to confess and repent of our sins, we have freedom from the law of sin and death. God is greater. And I think the third benefit of being free from sin is the requirements of the law were fulfilled. He paid the price. There is no more debt. I mean, you know what debt can do? Debt destroys people. We're living in a day and age where debt is just taking over our culture. It's just incredible weight. Debt destroys. Debt puts you in bondage to the creditor. 
I've known so many Christians who, boy, I just have thousands of dollars on credit cards. I guess I'll just file bankruptcy. Why? Because the debt enslaves you to the debtor. That's sinfulness. But when Christ steps in and the sin that we have, the debt that we have because of our sinfulness, Christ paid it. That'll get you excited. That's a reason. That's a challenge worth pursuing. I want to have a sinless life because I want the benefits of walking in fellowship and holiness with God. That should excite us. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. So once again, he says... The command to get rid of sin is obvious. It's all over the place. Get rid of it. It's a decision that you and I have to make. And then we're going to kind of break down a couple key words in just a moment. But one more. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So over and over, God's word is clear. We are to uh, make the decision to not sin every day in our lives. But you know, in all these verses that we've read, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Romans 7, Romans 8, Romans 6, 11, and 12, Romans 13, 14, it not only admonishes us not to sin, but it also gives us the ability in how to overcome it. Let me go back. So 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness. You know what the word awake means? It has the idea in the Greek language, to awake from drunkenness. In other words, it's to be sober-minded. In other words, as we wake up in the morning when our minds should be the freshest because we are not dealing with the stress of the day that we haven't started yet, as we wake up in the morning before all the cares of the world begin to bombard us, it's at that point that we are to awake. Awake means to wake up. Awake to righteousness. So every morning as we roll over and get out of bed, we are to awake to righteousness. What that means? We're making a decision right this moment that I'm giving my life to Christ. Afresh and anew today. I'm going to commit my way to Him. I'm going to trust Him to do what I cannot do in my flesh. I'm awaking. I'm awaking sober-minded, fresh-minded, giving Him the day. This morning as I rolled over, and it's been a crazy long week. Uh, it's been long weeks, long nights, early mornings. And uh, I felt like I got gypped last night a little bit. I got, I got gypped. I remember going to bed at about 11.10. I shut the light off. And all of a sudden, like 10 seconds later, my alarm went off. I got gypped. I mean, if I'm going to go to bed, I want to feel like I rested. I want to feel like I woke up. I felt like somebody just flipped a switch. I got gypped somehow of a night. I'm exhausted. But I can tell you the first thing that was in my mind this morning was to pray for several of my friends who are also preaching the word this morning. And I asked God to help me this morning to have a right mind. That's awaking to righteousness. And I wish I could say that was true every day. It's not, just so you get the idea. I'm human too. But it's a desire that I have to awake to righteousness. In Romans 8, he, he says he paid the price. Uh, 
He took care of the judgment. Romans 6, 11, and 12. Here's the how-to. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to the sin, but alive to Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first ability, or the how-to that he gives us is to reckon. The word reckon is interesting. It literally means to just do. Do think through this. It's an adjective. Or not an adjective, an action verb, excuse me. It's an action that we're supposed to do. Reckon yourselves dead. Well, how can I do that? I'm alive. Metaphorically, you're dead to the flesh. Remember? Colossians talks about that. Galatians talks about that. When we gave our life to Christ, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that, or 15 talks about that. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it says the old man was crucified, it was put to death, and when we come up out of the water to baptism, it was a public testimony of what has taken place privately. There is a new life on display for the world to see. I have a testimony to live for the Lord. So I am to reckon myself dead indeed to sin. That sin does not live in me. That sin is not going to have power over me. That sin is not going to control me. That sin is not going to dictate who I am in Christ. It's not going to manipulate my day. I am considering myself. I am reckoning myself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. It says, therefore, here's the action verb. Do not let sin reign. Do reckon. Do not let sin reign in your body that you should obey its lusts. Romans 13. Here's another one. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an action verb again. Do put on. Do not make provision for the flesh. How do we make provision for the flesh? I think a lot of us are good at it. You know, when you have a choice to go down certain aisles at the grocery store, I know if I go down that Twinkie Row, man, that, that's going to have some great desserts down there. And I can justify, I'm going to get these for Don's lunch. I'm going to get these for the kids' lunch to go to school. And because they're at home on the counter, I might just have to have them, but I'm buying it for them. Right? You've never done that, you know. We can justify what we do. Make no provision for the flesh. If you know that this checkout counter has magazines that cause you to have wrong thoughts, go to another one. See, there is a way of escape. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians 10.13. If this person causes you to be angry, if this person causes you to have wrong thoughts, don't spend time with them. If what they want to do is sinful and wrong and it kind of urges you to do the same thing they're doing, get away from them. That's not making provision for the flesh. That means we have to make some decisions sometimes that are sometimes bothersome to others. There are certain people in other ministries I've been around that I don't want to spend time with them because I find myself griping when they start griping. You ever notice that's contagious? I'm serious. You walk outside, oh man, it's rainy outside. Oh, this is, oh, this, this, this rots. Are you believe? Next thing you know, that's the attitude for the day. And they successfully planted the seed in your head. Now that's your attitude. Don't make provision for the flesh. If this person, if this thing, if this is what you're watching, if this thing, what you do, 
I can only have so much Fox News, it drives me insane. I just want to, I want to, if, if the TV didn't cost a couple hundred, I'd throw that thing and have fun with it. If I could, if I could somehow get like three guys to throw it up real high, it'd be so much fun. Just shoot the thing. If it causes you to sin, don't be around it. Kind of a simple concept, right? But yet we don't do it. Why? Because nobody's holding a gun to our head, making us. We have a free will. But he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. These are action verbs. Do, don't do. Not only does the Word of God admonish us, but it shows us how. John Phillips said this, we have the means of victory over sin at our disposal. Would anybody disagree? We have the ability at our disposal right now. The Son of God to be our Savior, the Word of God to be our guide, and the Spirit of God to indwell us and empower us. But if we're not in the Word, and we're not praying to Him daily, you're going to be weak, and you're going to give in to sin. But the very thing He says is, these things I'm writing unto you so that you will what? Not sin. And having emphasized that God's desire for us is to not sin, we realize that we are not perfect and we will sin. And we do sin. But the question is this. How will you and I respond when we do sin? How are we going to respond when we realize that we have sinned? What's your response? Is it to, as sometimes we have said before, to rationalize, justify, excuse it? Or if we're godly, we'll humbly confess that sin and repent of that sin as we talked about last week. Does God think we're going to be perfect? No. That was only one person, Jesus Christ. He was the perfect Lamb of God that could take away the sins of the world. But He did say, Be holy as I am holy, First Peter 1. So what's the difference? How do you respond when you've realized that you're in sin? Sometimes we beat ourselves up, which some of us can do. If we've done something that we're trying to overcome, we can beat ourselves up. But oftentimes, we just kind of ignore it. We walk away from it. But can I just remind you, a just man falls never? But what does God's Word remind us? A just man falls, depending on your translation, some say it's B-times, King James. Or some translations say seven times. But a just man is going to fall, but what? He gets back up. He doesn't stay down in that sin. I may have tripped, but I'm going to deal with it. I may have fallen, but I'm not giving in. I may be down, but I'm not out. And if I realize I've sinned, I simply say, Lord, I acknowledge that I've sinned. Please forgive me and help me to not do it again. A righteous man, a just man or woman, humbly acknowledges it and confesses it so that he can make it right. 
That's what our desire should be. That's what our goal should be. Not to rationalize, not to justify, not to excuse, not to turn away from it, but to address it. Back in our text in 1 John chapter 2. It says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. So what's an advocate? We kind of hear that in social circumstances that this person has an advocate or this family has an advocate, but what does it mean to have an advocate? An advocate basically, I think, has three things. Number one, it carries the thought of a a defense attorney. Scripturally, it's almost the picture of a defense attorney. You have an advocate, and this defense attorney is going to fight for your freedom, fight for your resolution of whatever it is that you are in. Number two, an advocate is someone who pleads for us. You have somebody that is going to bat for you because you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the ability in and of yourself at times. And trust me, that's all of us because there's not a one of us, as we said, because of the strength of our flesh that has the ability to constantly live in the Spirit because in our flesh we will fail. We have the Holy Spirit to help us do what God has asked us to do, to live how he's asked us to live. And number three, an advocate is someone who mediates for us. So we have a defense attorney, we have somebody who pleads for us, and we have somebody who is a mediator for us. In the text, the word mediator, this, word, our, this word advocate, I thought this was really interesting as I was studying this this week. The word advocate is the Greek word parakaleo. Well, big deal, so it's a Greek word. Yeah, I know, Greek doesn't matter to all of us. Parakaleo is the same word for Holy Spirit. So then I'm thinking, wait a minute. Since we have an advocate with the Father, comma, Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, how can it be the Holy Spirit and Jesus at the same time? Both of them are there. So we have not only Jesus Christ as our example, as our strength, our model, our example, but we have the Holy Spirit. It's the same word that's translated in John chapter 14, verse 26, the comforter. Same exact word. Our comforter is our advocate. That's the Holy Spirit that helps us when we do sin. The comforter is there to say, hey, you have the ability to overcome through the Spirit. It's the advocate that's going to, before us to fight for us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I am so thankful on a human level that I don't have to stand before a priest and confess my sins. I mean, let's just think that through for a moment from a physical standpoint. Yeah, Father, I did this. You did what this week? Are you kidding me? Woo! Oh, Lord, this is going to be a tough one. I'm glad I don't have to share my deepest, darkest sins with some man. I'm glad I have a mediator. Holy Spirit who is... Wait, the next verse? Uh, this is awesome. Romans 8, 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm not sure how I should deal with this, Lord, but good thing you've got the Holy Spirit on your side. 
Lord, I'm not sure what I need to do, but I know I'm wrong and I need some help. Good thing you've got the Holy Spirit on your side. So he makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He's making intercession for us according to the will of the Father. Has anybody been in a situation where you're not sure how to pray? You know how to, you don't even know how to pray how to get through this circumstance, but generally I just, Lord, I need you, I, I need some direction here. He says, you got the Holy Spirit. John 14, the paracleto, the comforter. First John, the advocate, Holy Spirit, and he's going to bat with you. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us with groanings and utterances which cannot be uttered. And according to the will of God, in Romans 8.27. And then verse or Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and even furthermore also is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You know what I was reminded of after reading all these verses? I don't go through life alone. It's not all on me. I have a responsibility before God to make a decision. To do the best I can to live for a live for him and to not sin. But knowing my humanness, I will fail at times. But I want to have a right mindset before God and that I want to be humble before him. I want to confess it and repent of it. But I know that as I do that, I have the Holy Spirit working in my behalf to help me. I'm not alone. Doesn't that encourage us? Should that not encourage us? You're not alone. He's our defense attorney, our mediator, who's at the right hand of the Father pleading our case. And he himself, look at the next part of the verse there in verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is a propitiation? Well, there's two real aspects of propitiation. Number one, the word propitiation means to cover or to put under. To cover, here's the sin, it's covered, or here's the sin, it's being brought under. Jesus Christ covered and he put our sin under the blood. That's propitiation. And propitiation, number two, satisfies God's holy law. Why? Because He's the atoning sacrifice. His sacrifice appeased our sin debt. He removes the guilt caused by sin when we confess and repent it. He put our sin underneath the blood. He covered our sin with His blood. That's why I think every time I come before the Lord in communion, it's a remembrance. This is what Christ died for. This is what His shed blood accomplished. I'm thankful for that. I don't deserve it, neither do you. I can remember, especially in those early years of marriage, man, I was so stinking selfish, and I still am at times. I can remember those first couple years 
we'd be so stinking selfish and we'd get in an argument and gripe and complain and blah, 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 and I deserve this and I deserve that and now I'm the head and blah, 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 you know. Sinfulness and selfishness. And I remember thinking, I don't deserve someone who is so patient for me, with me. And yet, that's what God does over and over and over and over again. He is patient. He's long-suffering. I may have shared the quote in the past, but Vance Havner, an old country preacher, said, if God dealt with sin today the way he did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, every church would need a morgue in its basement. Woo! I'm glad that God is patient. I'm glad that he is, this is the King James word, long-suffering when I sin. He gives me an opportunity to realize what it is I've done. He gives me an opportunity to come before him in repentance and to confess it so that I can live a life that is pleasing in his sight. Propitiation means that he satisfied the holy law. He was the atoning sacrifice. He removed the guilt. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he said, for he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me just say this. God did not just give you the ability to have forgiveness just so that you can have forgiveness in and of itself. That was not his sole purpose just to say, oh, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. He does do that when we repent. But that's not his sole purpose. According to the verse, he says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He said, I did this so that you would become righteous through God. I have a plan for you. I have a goal for you. Just like we have for our children, God has for us. And one of those goals is righteousness. He wants you to be righteous. That's why he says, I'm writing to this so that you do not sin. I want you to be righteous. You notice through all these verses that we've looked at, God doesn't force us. You realize that God does not make any robots. We don't wake up in the morning and say, I love you, Lord, 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 I love you, Lord. We're not robots. Every day you have a choice to live in the flesh or to live in the Spirit. And He's given us the wherewithal to do what's right. It's a choice. And it's a challenge worth pursuing because it puts us in right standing before God and it pleases the heart of God. See, all of us in this room are going to live for somebody or something. We're either going to live for a spouse, a child, a boss, a neighbor, a friend, relative, co-worker. We have to choose who we please, who we're living for. But can I remind you, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, I've reminded many folks over the years what Galatians 1.10 says. If I should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I really do want to make everyone happy around me. <laughs> I realized a long time ago, I can't do that. And neither can you. Isn't it amazing how we try sometimes? But he says, if I should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What's he saying there? 
it's more important to please God than man. It's more important to live vertically than horizontally. Life is not about us. It's all about Him. It's a choice. But He says, these things I'm writing to you so that you what? Say it with me. Do not sin. So we're either going to live for something or somebody. What is it that we're living for? Who is it that we're living for? If it's anything other than for God, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And I'd rather obey him than someone else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We're so thankful that your word reminds us it does not return void. Your word challenges us. It convicts us, Lord. It admonishes us how to live for you, to please you. And Lord, I pray that we might be willing to do that this day. So Lord, work in our hearts this day. Lord, I pray as we do often on Sunday mornings, and Lord, I know I do throughout the week. Lord, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. We can agree with it. We can acknowledge it. We can say, oh, that's not that big a deal. We can respond to it in a whole host of ways. But the important thing, Lord, is for us to respond how you would have for us to respond. And Lord, there may be some, Lord, who have taken sin flippantly. There may be some, Lord, who have areas of sinfulness that they're just not worried about. It's not that big a deal to them. It's not as bad as such and such. It's not as bad as so and so. But Lord, I pray that that would not be our mindset. Lord, that we would take the challenge to not sin because it's worth it. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts starting with mine, Lord. I don't want to have sin in my life. I don't want sin to rule over me. I don't want sin to hinder my relationship with you or with anyone else. God, I pray that you'd forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart, Father. But for all of us in this room, Lord, I pray that that would be our desire to not let sin permeate within us. Help us be so appreciative of what you've done for us on the cross, Lord, that our desire would be to please you with a holy, righteous life. Lord, I realize that we are sinful, that we will fail at times. But when we do, Lord, I thank you for your patience in advance and your long-suffering in advance. But Lord, I pray that we would humbly acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, forsake it. Lord, that our relationship with you would not be hindered and our prayers would not be hindered. Let's have their bowed and eyes are closed this morning just for a moment. We have an opportunity to do each and every week respond to what we've heard from God's word. You say, well, Pastor, that's that's me this morning. Some areas of sinfulness I've not dealt with. Maybe I didn't realize the severity and how many times God said, don't sin, don't make provision for the flesh, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. And I just haven't looked at it the way God would have me to look at it. But for whatever reason, God has spoken to my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes. Middle and the front and on the sides. And I'll say, Pastor, that's me. I gotta do some business with God. I gotta deal with some issues of sin. I gotta make my mind up every day. I wanna commit my day to the Lord. I wanna live for Him. I wanna do what's right. 
Would you pray for me? Anyone else? Can I just challenge you? Raise your hand, your heart. Just take a moment and pray. James tells us to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. So now that you know what God expects and you don't do it, that's compounded sin. Just confess it. Ask for God's strength to overcome it. You can't do it in and of yourself. Acknowledge that. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. You need the daily filling of the Spirit to help you. Let's all stand to our feet this morning as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're just going to take a moment and pray. Lord God, I pray that you be with each and every one of us in this room this morning, Lord. Many of us have raised our hand and our heart to you, mine included. Many of us have acknowledged that, Lord, we cannot do this without you. Lord, we need your help. But God, we want to take this challenge to not sin. We realize we're not perfect. We realize that we may fail. But our desire is to not sin, Lord. And I pray that you would just help us to have victory in these areas. I ask God that you would help each and every one of us to daily refresh our commitment to you, to daily put down the areas of sinfulness, Lord, that would cause us to stumble, those things that would hinder our relationship with you, Lord. We want to please you. So, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.